This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. I'm Rochelle Hunt and I'm based in Melbourne. And I'm Warwick Long in Shepparton. Today was, we're talking about soft plastics and I don't know about you and your household, but we are super confused in our house. There are daily conversations around what is this? Can I recycle this? Where does this need to go? Is this soft plastics? Does this need to be taken to the supermarket? Where is the bin at the supermarket? And it just goes on and on and on. And inevitably, it ends up with, why are there so much soft plastics on so many products still? Well, it's, it's funny you say that, Rochelle, because I, you and I were on the phone. You're saying, I want to talk about soft plastics and because I'm confused about it. I was like, yeah, that'll be really great. And I hung up the phone and then I was like, hang on a second. What's a soft plastic? Are we talking a bread bag? Are we talking cling wrap? Because that's really soft mm-hmm. plastic, isn't it? Are we talking, you know, the bag your salad comes in at the supermarket? Are we talking the little plastic tub that's quite soft that all your little tomatoes come in? Or maybe the one that your meat now comes in at a lot of supermarket shelves and so forth? Biscuit packets. Or is it all of the above? And then there's a lot of questions around what do you then do with it? So if you've figured out, right, if people are a little smarter than us and they probably are and they know what a soft <laughs> plastic is, then there's what do you do with it? So at the moment, you can't recycle that at your home. You have to take it somewhere. Most of us, if we're taking it to supermarkets, we will hear from some small towns where they're trying to make it easier for people to be able to recycle their soft plastics by putting bins at places like train stations. But whilst we also know that the federal government is investing around $60 million to try and improve the recycling of soft plastics... They say that they want to help companies scale up their soft plastic recycling and develop new technology. But a bit of what we want to look at today is, well, should it be new technology that we're investing in or should we actually be trying to reduce and to stop relying on soft plastics in any way? So do we need more infrastructure to be able to deposit and recycle soft plastics? Does it need to be easier to recycle them full stop, as what Rochelle was just saying, or should We just try and get rid of them, phase them out. Can we live in a world with no soft plastics? On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Dr Trevor Thornton is a lecturer in hazardous material management at Deakin University. Trevor, is it just was and I that are confused about what a soft plastic is? No, good morning, uh, Rochelle and Woz. No, (laughs) listening to your uh, introduction there... uh, you are the same as many other people in terms of not knowing what to do and why you're doing it and how to do it. So uh, there's a lot of questions there. Can I start with what is a soft plastic, Trevor? <laughs> what is it? Yeah, very good question. So basically a soft plastic is is the sorts of things that you mentioned like bread bags, glad wrap, etc. So it's basically people sort of say if it's scrunchable um, and then doesn't sort of bounce back, then it's a soft plastic. Um, example would be if you buy a packet of uh, you know, Tim Tams, uh, the, the tray that it comes in is a hard plastic, but the outer wrapper is a soft plastic. Uh, bread bags are soft plastic. So uh, shopping bags are soft plastics. So is it scrunchable? Um, if it bounces back to what it, what it was, okay, that's then good. Okay, we'll remember that. But then it gets really confusing. Let's go specific, right? So let's say a meat tray that many of us would buy our mince meat in, you pull back the soft plastic, but you mightn't take it all the way off and you cook up your bolognese or your stir fry or whatever it may be. If you put that entire tray with the hard plastic and the soft plastics into your recycling bin, does the soft plastic then contaminate the other recycling and then cause bigger problems down the track? Yeah, essentially, yes. The system can deal with a little minor amounts. You know, when, as you say, when you pull that soft plastic off, there's, there's often little uh, little bits around the corner, etc., that you, you know too difficult to get off. The systems can deal with that. But if you threw the whole tray in with the soft and the harder plastic in, then yes, that's going to contaminate it, and that poses the problem of uh, you know, will people buy those plastics to use as their raw materials? They're not, and uh, therefore uh, we have problems with the recycling system as such. I've got, I'm not going to spend an hour throwing these questions at you, Trevor, I promise. But on the text <laughs> message, right. someone sent a text saying, onion bags, question mark, question mark, is that a soft or a hard oh, plastic? Oh, that's a good question. Um, onion bags, I'm not too sure. I think that if it's sort of like a, 
the bag, say potatoes come in, etc. Where I buy my onions, they're, they're not in a bag. Um, but I'd say that would be a soft plastic. And I think that's a lot of what we'll talk about today as well. Is there a way that we can start to reduce the amount of plastic, which is easier said than done, you know, because the fact is, yes, we could be going to farmer's market and we could be buying direct and we could be taking our containers straight in. We do know that. But the majority of us shop in major supermarkets and sometimes, you know, we're multitasking and you have to shop late at night or early in the morning and most things that are in the supermarket are coming in plastic. And something else that we'll get to was is that it keeps food fresh. So we know that we have a huge issue with the amount of food that we throw out in this country. And unfortunately, things like cling wrap keep stuff fresh. So you've got the two beasts fighting each other here of either throwing out food or using a soft plastic. But let's have a chat to Hannah in Willow Grove. Hi, Hannah. Oh, hello. Thank you for taking my call. Look, I have an easy solution. You just simply do not buy plastic. Um, this is on an everyday, you know, um, shopping list. Um, and I successfully um, do that. I take containers to my butchers. I would never buy uh, frozen meals in a, in a supermarket. Um, you can even take your containers to a restaurant, to a cafe. They will put your food in it if that's the sort of thing you want. Um, I make my own toothpaste, my own creams. Um, I simply don't buy plastic, anything Gosh, in that's plastic. that's a big commitment. No, no, it's not. Prior to um, COVID, I used to give in my home and out schools, etc. cetera, um, workshops called How to Live Plastic-Free. And so I would show people how. Okay, at first people say, no, you can't do it. Um, I'm saying, yes, you can. Hannah, <laughs> though, do you recognise that you're quite unique? You're, you're not an average consumer who, who behaves no, in that no, way? No, I'm not. But, uh, but I, I've, I've hated plastic probably all my life. I was a strange teenager even, when, and I'm 79 now. Um, I didn't like plastic. Um, everyone thought it was a wonderful material. Um, I, I didn't, and perhaps I foresaw the problems we're causing. Um, people say, oh, I haven't got time. You have got time. You just change your habits, and once you get into it, it's automatic, and you, you have a, a rule, no bag, no shopping. Um, so many people, um, I give away shopping bags that I make, out of old um, oh, curtains, etc. Hannah. Uh, Hannah, how much of this do you think? Because, uh, look, I so wish I was you and I had the dedication and the time to do what you do. And I am embarrassed to say that soft plastics are in my house and they've snuck back in And because it does save time. It makes life easier. And there are so many soft plastics in our supermarket. If you don't have time to go to the butcher because, you know, you have to shop outside of nine to five and whatnot. And if you're Uh reliant on supermarkets, they're kind of on everything. So should supermarkets change as well? So uh, absolutely. If you stop buying what they've got in plastic, whether it's hard plastic, if you stop buying it, it hurts their pocket. Look, People power could do this. We could change them. Like you, you want peanut butter so that you can get in plastic and plastic top or you can get glass, glass plastic top or you can get glass and a tin top. So you just you buy the unplastic um, one. The others will soon say, hey, they're not buying our product. It's hurting my pocket. People power could do this. If we could get enough people doing this, yeah. we could convert these plastic uh, and look there's plenty of bags they can put in now corn hemp hemp seaweed they're making wonderful things um but but um people were saying are we are we too busy to look after our planet look in another 50 years People yeah. look back and say, oh, why didn't we do that then? Perfect, Hannah, Hannah. Thank you so much for your call. That's Hannah at Willow Grove calling there. We might quickly head to Mark, who's in Frankston South, if we can, because Mark has a question which I really wanted to, to put to Dr Trevor Thornton as well, who's a guest with you on the Conversation Hour uh, today as we're talking our way through soft plastics and what to do with them. Mark, welcome to the program. What did you want to say? Yeah, hi, guys. Thank you. Uh, look, I was I was very interested in the... Um, the the actual ability of us to recycle plastic and all of the recycling codes and emblems that you now see on on plastics generally, 
Yeah. Whether it's a PR campaign mm. to make us feel as consumers it's okay to use plastic or whether there's really a recycling capability that is actually being performed. Mark, it's such a good question because my husband gets irate about this because he'll quickly see a recycling symbol on something and he thinks, okay, great, makes a quick decision and then gets home only to read the fine print to discover that it can't actually be that easily recycled. And I guess that's just what we label now, Trevor, Dr. Trevor Thornton, as greenwashing, isn't it? It's yes and no. Um, those symbols are actually the numbers that are uh, in that symbol just simply represent what type of plastic it is. And it's just unfortunate in Australia we use that recycling symbol, it's actually called the Mobius Loop. Um, in other countries, they don't use that symbol. And it is one of the most common things that people are confused about. They see that symbol and they think, oh, it's okay to put in the recycling. And as you said, your husband goes and checks later and finds that they're not allowed to put it in their recycling stream. So one of the things we need to do is overcome that and change that symbol. Keep the numbers because then we can identify the plastic. But, uh, you know, it could be a circle, it could be a square, it could be something else. But uh, uh, remove that confusion for people. Now, you're a lecturer of hazardous material management at Deakin University, which is a fantastic title, by the way. But uh, it does probably lead to the next question. And can we get a bit technical here? Why why is it easier to recycle hard plastics compared to soft plastics? It's not so much that it's easier to do so. Uh, it is about that there is markets for those hard plastics. So what happens is the hard plastics will be uh, uh, sorted out from the other recyclables. Uh, what's called granulated, so made into small little pallets uh, and then sold and then a, a, you know, a company that uses it will, will melt that down and make their, their bottles, their whatever the, the plastics that they want to make, you know, TVs and, and uh, computer parts and all that sort of stuff. The soft plastics are a, a different sort of kettle of fish that um, they can't be granulated, so they basically are broken down because plastics are fundamentally made from oil. Uh, they're broken down and then they can be used for fuel and, again, a whole range of other different purposes. So it's like there's two different recycling streams for it. The hard plastics there's markets for, the soft plastics there haven't been markets for, so it comes down to economics as to what gets recycled and what doesn't. There's a text here saying, don't put this on the consumer. Soft plastics are a producer problem. We need to top down the circular life cycle approach to packaging and products. Companies need to prove to the government that their material can be easily recycled uh, with infrastructure before being allowed to use it as packaging. And I know Vivian, who's in Wood End, you think the same thing, Vivian. That's really maybe not our responsibility, but the company you're buying from. Yes, exactly. I can't honestly, I mean, I think generally speaking, we as a public are pretty good at recycling. I know there's a percentage of us that aren't, but the problem surely lies with these companies that are producing all of this. And I'm, we, you just said that, you know, it's a problem with soft plastics. So therefore, why are these big companies still using that process? But- isn't doesn't at some point it come back to personal responsibility, Vivian? They're providing yes. a, a product, and clearly we're all buying it. And if we all thought as as deeply as what it sounds like today, many of us are thinking about soft plastics. We wouldn't be buying these products in the first place. Yeah, look, but it's all about supply and demand. We go to the supermarket, and it's much easier to buy a tray of mints in a little plastic container than sort of get a bag and grab it yourself. So it's all about the ease of buying in supermarkets, I think. And I think for a lot of us, you know, that's fair enough. But And I do believe that we are, generally speaking, very responsible. But there is a situation where... Where does it go? And so would you rather see then, Vivian, so if the federal government is coming out saying they're going to, you know, invest $60 million in trying to help companies scale up their soft plastic recycling and develop new technology, would you like to see money spent in actually trying to get companies to not use it in the first place? Yes, absolutely. No question about it. Now, whether that, I'm sure that would be a a big issue for a lot of these very big companies because it's all you know, production line. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, look, I just really feel that it it is our responsibility. I have no doubt about that. But I also think a huge amount of responsibility has to be placed on these companies to redo and rethink how they uh, produce or present to us um, the end product. Thank you very much for your call, Vivian. Let's go back to Dr. Trevor Thornton just on that point. The the idea of sort of what 
whose responsibility it is and what we should be doing around some of the ideas of uh, soft plastic recycling. Should we just stop people selling it or should we have bins More for bins? soft plastics for the future? <laughs> How many bins are you up to in your household? <laughs> where do we come down? To, where do you come down yeah. on this, Trevor Thornton? I, I think all of the above, in a sense. Well, I've got four bins where I live, so uh, I don't particularly want any more. Um, I think that the, the, the two, uh, you know, Hannah and, uh, sorry, the name of the, the, the previous uh, caller. Vivian. Uh, Vivian, yeah. Both have sort of a, a going down the same path. One of the things we've got to do is recognise that not all plastics are bad. You know, plastics, as uh, I think, Michelle, you said at the beginning, will help protect food, conserve food, and food waste is a really big issue. So... We, what we've got to do is look at what plastics we're using and why are we using them. So, for example, I might go to the supermarket and they've got two lettuces in a bag. Well, I only want one, but I can't buy one. I have to buy two. So we've got to use that consumer power to sort of convince yeah. uh, the, the supermarkets, etc., that we don't need to, this overpackaging, which which occurs. But also, I think that the responsibility on uh, the, the producer, uh, the manufacturer or the seller to justify why it is wrapped in plastic as opposed to having it that people can use reusable packaging or you know, reusable bags and so forth also needs to be done. So I think it's a, it's a multi-pronged approach yeah. rather than just one solution to it all. And we do need uh, more capacity for people to recycle. You know, if I have to recycle my soft plastics, I've got to go to the supermarket. Well, why can't it be at the train station? Why can't it be at the hardware store where I might visit more often and so forth? Yeah, so absolutely. Making it, it easier. Yeah, exactly. couldn't agree more. Trevor, thanks so much for your time and your insights. We could pick your brain all day. I dare say we'll go back to this <laughs> again, but thank you. My pleasure. Dr. Trevor Thornton, he's the lecturer in hazardous material and management at Deakin University. Rochelle Hunt in Melbourne, Warwick Long in Shepparton with you on the Conversation Hour today. Was impossible to keep up with the text, everything from it's too hard to people power, but also people wanting easier access to be able to take their soft plastics because you may not live close to a supermarket. It's very easy if you live in the, in the city or in the suburbs where you're only five minutes away from a supermarket, but not all of us are five minutes away from the market. Oh, exactly. And we sometimes I think we fail to recognise that people are living lives in, in very different ways. And and also one of the things I was picking up when we were talking about going to the supermarket and deciding on what you want to eat and, and picking what you can depending on what plastic is there, we're forgetting that a lot of people now get their groceries delivered. Yes. And in a lot of those cases, you don't get a say exactly on the product you get because they will be traded in and out for, for different products depending on availability. And even if you're doing your best to avoid things like soft plastics, you're going to get a lot of them delivered to you anyway. So there's there's a lot of things that we that are invading our lives when we're, we're talking yeah. about using products like this. And even this on the, on the text from Greg at Lemnos, who's not even talking about the supermarket here, saying, my fishing tackle box is full of soft plastics. It's so, everywhere. And I think that's where the frustration is coming in. I know it's coming in in our household. So if it's in our household, then I'm pretty sure it's in a lot of other households as well. Shane Walden is the Director of Assets and Operations at the Macedon Rangers Shire Council, making it easier for people to recycle their soft plastics. People have been wanting them at train stations and that's what you guys have done. Well, <clears throat> thank you, Rochelle. We're, we're actually got a, a process where people can bring it to our transfer stations at the moment, not necessarily the train stations, but that's a pilot program that we have been in partnership with regional uh, Victorian regional recyclers and that's working really well. One of the exciting things, though, I've listened to a few of the conversations that you've been talking to people, is there's some great initiatives that are just around the corner and they're being generated as part of the move towards the circular economy. It is important to reduce waste in the first instance, but if we're going to need to produce waste, it's important that we reuse and don't send it to landfill. So, excitingly, I heard about the challenge of people taking plastics to either a supermarket or to a central location. APR Plastics is looking to, or APR, is looking to introduce a plastic recycling technology called pyrolysis, and that'll create a product that can be refined into oil. So they're looking to potentially roll that out soon, and that means that people start to be able to dispose of soft plastics in their commingled waste room. So that's something that's really exciting. And so, regional so, recycling... Sorry, oh, just to pick sorry, up there, what? Shane. The, yep. So they're turning things like your cling wrap that goes over your... Uh, your, your last night's dinner, as you put it into the fridge, that can become oil. That's correct. Wow. Some of the initiatives are 
quite incredible. I mean, we're going to hear about how some of the soft plastics used around hay bale are, are turned into fence posts as well. Is this the yes. future of it, do you think? Or would your locals in your area just like to see less of those plastics being used? Because sometimes, you know, we keep hearing that it's people power and small communities quite often take up the lead when it comes to recycling in the environment. We see small towns being the first to ban plastic bags or whatever it may be. Is this something that you think your community wants to take that next step? I think so, Rochelle. Look, we've got a, a very environmentally conscious community where we are in the Massive Ranges and ultimately... I think everyone's goal should be to not create the waste in the first place and to find ways of using reusable products as often as possible. But I don't think that we can change that overnight. And so as we're moving from one habit that we've got to a new habit, we need to have some methodologies to ensure that we're not continuing to put waste into landfill during that process. And so that's why I think it's really exciting that, you know, we were forced by the fact that we couldn't export our waste to China anymore. We were forced to have a look at what we could do here locally. And I think there's a number of companies that are really stepping up and have invested in looking at how we can reuse and recycle those products. So how's the trial going so far? Is it a success? I think at the moment we're happy to say it's a success. Um, We've been collecting um, a a lot of soft plastics through our transfer station. At the moment it's being stored, but uh, the Regional Recycle Victoria are um, working with Ritchie Technologies and they're looking at a melting technology that can take a one-step process of turning those plastics into um, products such as you were saying, fence posts and other solid um, items, and they can do that with plastics that are up to a mil in diameter and can do about 100 kilo, uh, kilograms per hour. So they're some of the things that uh, we're looking to do, and I'm just scratching my head here looking for what the uh, what the volumes are that we've had through our transfer stations, but we've seen a steady increase of people who are willing to pack all of their soft plastics into their car drive to the transfer stations and then make use of our facilities, which has been great. So it's making it easier. Shane, thanks for your time. Good on you. Best of luck with the initiative. Thanks, Rochelle. Thank you, Warren. Shane Walden there, the Director of Assets and Operations at the Macedon Rangers Shire Council. Rishan was, I buy soap. It's wrapped in soft plastic and then each individual bar is wrapped in plastic. Why is it not possible to not do that? That's from Stephen. Meg was, says, well, just don't go to the supermarket for fruit and veg and meat. Go to the butcher and the greengrocer for those foods. And look, Meg, I agree, but I also know sometimes I'm too busy and I can't shop within the hours that those places are open. And I'm telling you one thing, when you're doing your grocery shop at nine o'clock at night, you're not alone. That supermarket is full. People lead busy lives and we are doing things outside of those hours. So even though we might want to do that, sometimes it's just out of our hands. So do the supermarkets need to step up as well? I, uh, I was at the supermarket at closing time the other day, Rochelle, and I was like, this is life now. Now you're married with kids. At one stage, they'd be turning the lights on at the pub. Now they're like turning the lights off at the supermarket going, get out. Aisle get seven, out. Warwick Long. It's time to leave, please. Please You've been leave. here too long. Oh, Jennifer's in Geelong. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, how are you doing? Good. What did you want to say? Uh, well, you've mentioned a lot about people power and I just wanted to let you know that there's some great people power going on for all items smaller than a credit card. Uh, Lids for Kids is a group that started a couple of years ago to rescue small recyclables from landfill. And so we collect about a cubic metre of uh, plastic bottle lids, milk tops and all those sorts of things that literally fall through the cracks at the material recovery facilities. And what we do is we collect them the, the bright colours, the pinks, the yellows, the purples get made into sort of craft products like coasters or breadboards or things like that. And, and the, a, a large majority of them, like the navy blues, uh, get collected and sent to uh, in here in Geelong due to recycling where they make power ties that are on sell it to another company to make them into plant pots. So we're trying to... Um, get the circular economy going in Victoria by just looking at those small things that matter. Um, things like bread tags, which are, of course are plastic as well, we actually collect them and then sell them by the kilo to buy wheelchairs for people in oh, South wow. Africa. 
and wow. they're really Jennifer, cool. Jennifer, what's, yeah. what's amazing about that is, and I've seen it happen through kids' schools and in kindergarten and so forth previously, though, is it hard to keep up with the, the volume and people's goodwill? Because we've had a couple of drives for lids in the past, and I know they had to close it off because people were just too good at collecting them and giving them once they had a home for the product. And then just, what do you do with them? Yeah, and then yeah. it gets well, to a stage well, where it's overwhelming for one person to deal with. Yeah, I know. I've got my garage full and I'm actually got a, a, a lock of a storage locker filled because the, the issue was the supply chain. Everyone was really captured by, oh, great, I can collect these things, but then where do we send them on to? So the, the federal government's Remade in Australia campaign really needs to help us um, capture these plastics and mm. recycle them. And the the squishy lids on your milk bottle is a number four plastic, which is the same as the soft plastic bags. So there's only three actual three types of plastics generally um, the, for, for lids that, and they can all be recycled. It just needs a mechanism to capture them. And so this is where, the, I mean, when the government's talking about trying to bring in new technology and new mechanisms to be able to do that, these are the sort of tangible hands-on things that we need. Jennifer, that's wonderful to hear what your school's doing. Reminds me was when, you know, when one person ends up with just too many things at the school because of the initiative and my mum had the brilliant idea to start a Lamington Drive. Let's just say we had a double freezer in the shed full <laughs> of lamingtons but because oh. it ends up falling onto one person. So you've got to make it easier for for the actual action to happen, not just the initiative. It's the behind the scenes infrastructure, isn't it? it? There's goodwill of people that sometimes can get overwhelmed because we all do want to help. We just don't know how to do it and then be able to, to send that product on for it to get the right outcome. Arthur's at Yak and Dander. Arthur, welcome. G'day, yes. Uh, I think it was in the 1960s. If you went to buy a shirt, it came in a plastic box, uh, cardboard inserts, pins, all sorts of crap. And people started undoing the box in the shop, taking the shirt home, leaving the cardboard, leaving the pins, leaving the rubbish. And very quickly, the shops put pressure on the manufacturers to stop putting it on boxes. We can't cope. It's almost like, I mean, this is easily recycled, but shoe boxes as well. Like kids grow out of shoes so quickly. And whenever you need to go get them a new pair of runners or whatever it is, and they say in the shop, they go to put them in the box. I'm like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, I don't want the box. Leave the box here. You know, there's so much excess packaging that most of us just don't want and we just don't need. I wonder, Arthur, whether that will ever come back. You know, I mean, that's people power, I guess, like what we've been talking about. It is people power, and I think it worked in the past. If it worked, by definition, it works. So everybody should start leaving all their unnecessary crap in the <laughs> shop. <laughs> I love Arthur, it. I love it. Thank you. Thank you very much for your call. This on the text, Rish says, at last it sounds like the argument is starting to shift. It is the producer who is looking for the most cost-effective option, not what the consumers are concerned about. The packaging industry for years has put up the argument that the consumers want this and recycling is the answer to the packaging problem. Having friends in the industry, they are more concerned with short-term profit rather than long-term solutions. It's time we look at a packaging tax on products, ah. says Christian. I'm interested in your views on that. You can call us 1300 774 Joost Bakker is, well, basically he's someone that cares. When it comes to recycling, he is there and has always been at the forefront. Joost, so many people today are saying, well, just don't buy it. You know, buy products that don't have it. Should we be focusing on not buying it, better ways to recycling it, or finding a way to just phase it out so that we feel like we don't need it in our lives anymore when we're talking about soft plastics? I mean, my approach has been... Um, design it out you know so the cling wrap do we need it um well we proved in our restaurants that we were able to, to completely stop using it and then chefs that work for me would then go to on to work at other restaurants and then you know ring me and say oh my god you should see how much cling wrap these guys use and i think it's just all those little elements that we've got so used to using once you actually design them out you find it quite easy to not use them anymore um it's sometimes just about ease and oh, let's just do it this way and let's do it that way. You know, there's lots of restaurants that pre-portion every single course on a menu into a little plastic bag. And um, 
you know, so everything that you eat, you might think you go to a restaurant and think, oh, it's much more sustainable to eat at a restaurant because at least there's not all this waste around. But, I, you know, the, every, in every facet, we've managed to, you know, create some kind of plastic packaging. Yeah. And so, yeah, my philosophy has been design it out first and foremost. So how have you but done then, that, Yost? Um, just by finding alternative ways to do it. But then, you know, there's there's... Uh, a lot of reasons for using soft plastics. You know, if you're buying organic vegetables or um, uh, the plastic that that farmers use to grow strawberries in, the black soft plastic, that that stops weeds from becoming a problem. So you don't need to pl- spray for weeds. And then the reflected heat from the sunlight means that you don't have mold. So you don't need to spray, um, you know, for fungicide. And then the plastic covers that go over the top of them stop hail damage and and if you have like a really bad rain event or something mm. like that so we're know, actually going to speak to someone a little later that's using th- those exact plastics that you're talking about and finding a way to recycle them so is it looking at what ones we fundamentally need because the other thing that i know that all three of us and many of our listeners are passionate about is food waste and the amount of food that as a state and as a nation that we waste and we do think that soft plastics are a way to keep food fresher is there a really good alternative to make sure because it's sort of almost like the lesser of two evils here isn't it well the the thing is uh, and i'm really optimistic about all of this because the amount of innovation i see going on around me at the moment is so incredibly exciting Uh, everyone is thinking about it everyone's um, doing something about it and um, i'm much more optimistic than i was even five years ago there's there, there is some incredible technology and you know, the idea that if you pick a punnet of stra- strawberries or raspberries or you might have four avocados in a, in a plastic uh, wrapper, what most people don't realise is that when you buy that tub, that plastic tub, and it's wrapped in plastic, no, no other person has touched those avocados. So less avocados are left over at the end and get thrown out. So from a food waste point of view, these ideas often will make things last longer. And then it's just about how do we, you know, if, if, if that plastic packaging is made from sugarcane waste or from uh, potato skins or from, you know, there's huge amounts of, of uh, resources currently not being used that could be used for that stuff. And that that's what really excites me. And, you know, petroleum-based, uh, soft plastics like uh, greenhouse covers, um, the, 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 a lot of the plastics get used in agriculture, they can all be recycled. And a lot of them, like polymer processors here, have just invested $4.5 million in an Italian washing plant. That means that, you know, those plastics can go back and become a circular material and and become the same cover again. You know, you've got Garden City Plastics that I think last year in Melbourne, they recycled 17 million kilos of um, polypropylene and made plant pots. And so, you know, if you buy plants, buy them in a black pot and the black pots are completely made from recycled plastic. And when you finish planting your plants, bring them back to Bunnings or wherever else they are. They've got one of the best recycling programs for plant pots on earth. And um, the the whole industry is... This has been going on for 25 years, by the way. This is not a new thing, you know, so... It's there's there's a lot of good stuff going on, That's good. and I think that that those things when we combine food with plastic, I think should be plant based plastics, and I don't think we should be use growing crops specifically for those plastics. I think we sh- we should be focusing on the waste that already exists to make those plastics, and oh, that's products. really yeah yeah. yeah. Yes, I mean, people thank don't you. understand like we've we've got like a billion farmers that produce straw from things like barley, wheat, rice, oats, a billion farmers globally. And most of it today is still burned. I mean, the the Chinese government about 18 months ago banned the burning of straw stubble, and that's done more for the environment than any government decision, I believe, in the last 20 years. So you've got 100 million farmers that suddenly had to stop burning their stubble. And so you've got cardboard now being made in China out of of, uh, crop residue. You've got paper... So there's some really exciting Yeah, and we're going to hear from some of those people that are are doing things that are making changes in just a moment. Yes, it's always great to speak with you. Thanks so much for your time. 
No worries. That's Bye. Yoast Backer. Plenty of texts on this was. It's almost impossible to keep up. This one that says the radio announcers that say we're all too busy and don't have time to do the wrong uh, to do the right thing, but it's not true. I'm a small business, and uh, my mum and I we avoid buying plastics if possible. If we can't avoid buying it, it all gets recycled at different places, uh, from the supermarkets, bread tags, blister bags, lids for kids, petrol stations, toothbrushes. They can all go to different areas. I guess that's my point. They're saying you can take your sneakers back to Rebel. I agree it can be done. Like, I know, and there are different places. It's just the amount of time that it takes. I feel like it could be made easier and simpler. So because, I don't know, maybe it's just me. Maybe I need better time management, but I don't have time to be driving to Rebel Sport to drop off my kids' runners, to be going to the supermarket to drop off my soft plastics, to be going somewhere else to drop off my old toothbrushes. We need a better system, Was <laughs> That's because it's your passion that people can spend so much time doing that. But... You can ring and debate that with us. We'd love to hear from you. Do we need new technology to help us better manage the issue of soft plastics or should we be outlawing them? You tell us. This is The Conversation Hour. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Talking soft plastics, do we need to make it easier for us to know how to recycle them, places for them to be recycled, or do we need to phase them out? Rishan was. In Germany a few years ago, consumers started leaving their packaging in trolleys at the front of the stores. This forced the issue with producers and led to a big reduction in packaging. Now there are multiple ways to recycle in-store in Germany. We are so far behind in this space and it's so frustrating. There's Mitch, who's in the mountains. Hey, Chris at Inverloch might actually have more to add on this. Chris, welcome. Good morning, guys. How are you? Yeah, good. You've got another German example, do you? Well, I have. I read an article a number of years ago where the German government put a tax on the producer at the front instead of putting it on the consumer at the end. And what it did was dramatically made companies look at what they were doing. It's an interesting concept. I mean, you've had some great speakers on. It's fantastic because it is a real problem. Where we live, we're a holiday destination, yeah. and we have a lot of people that come down and camp and, and use Airbnb. And I look at the bins around the town, and they're full of stuff in yeah. the wrong bins, totally. Yeah. And people on holidays want convenience. It's almost like your rules go out the window a little bit on holidays, don't they? It does, and education is so important. And I always harp back to the fact when the anti-smoking campaign started a number of years ago, they targeted the kids in primary school and they took the message home to their parents that were smokers, and I was a smoker at that stage. And I reckon this is the way we need to educate more. And the other thing that needs to happen, the government must get involved. And we know if the government doesn't go hand-in-hand with industry, it doesn't go anywhere. And the packing industry is a multi-million dollar industry. Plastics yeah. are a huge, huge money money winner for distributors. Chris, thank you so much for your call. Uh, let's go to Marshall, or Marcel, sorry, at Macclesfield, who's uh, called in as well. Marcel, what did you want to say? Yeah, hi. Thanks for thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I've, um, we've just got a small hobby farm um, out here. We have horses and we use a lot of hay. Um, and we get a lot of hay band, um, you know, the, the band that actually holds the bales together. And um, I've been I've been collecting it for years, not wanting to throw it out in the bin, mm. um, yeah, and wanting to recycle it. So I'd love to know what I can do with that. I wonder whether our next guest would have any clues. I mean, that must be a serious hairband. I think I need to borrow some of those for my daughter's long, crazy hair. It might actually keep her hair up in a ponytail. Let's put that to David Hodge. He's the Managing Director of Plastic Forests and has been doing some incredible stuff when we sort of look at the film that is used and the plastic film that is used within agriculture. Is there something that Marcel could do with those big hair bands, hay bands, <laughs> Marcel? There we go. Uh, good morning. Yes, thank you. Uh, look, there's two primary ways that they uh, they wrap silage film, and that's uh, either with a, a sheet, and they look like a big green bale, light green bale, or they use the netting. Uh, we're able to process the uh, the sheet silage film, but uh, we are unable to do the uh, uh, the, the wrapping uh, the, to do that netting uh, per per se. But we've been doing the sheet now for about eleven years. We were sort of the first people uh, in Victoria to be able to to do that, and uh, and we're still doing that today. We put it into a, a, a range of wonderful products. It doesn't go back to film, but it goes into wonderful products. 
David, that's interesting though. Can you tell us technically, I suppose people think plastic's plastic. So why is the silage wrap, and we used to call them marshmallow farms when you'd go driving <laughs> past the things in, in the country, Rochelle, because you see all that's the That's what I'll be calling colours. them from here on in. Uh, yeah, yeah. You see the silage wrap yeah, that you do is different to the netting or the hay bale twine as well, which people might know as well. So technically, why can you recycle one and not the other? Uh, it's really in relation to what you set up to, to do. So we're set up to be soft films. So all of our equipment is set up for soft films. So, you know, shredding it, processing it, uh, and then being able to use it, you know, and we're trying to create a mono stream to try to keep all the plastic we can, the same type of plastic without sort of mixing it up. The, the reason why technically it's been difficult is because the silage film is a bit like a cling wrap that you'd use at home. It's very, very sticky. It sticks to each, each other. And so therefore it tends to get a lot of dirt and rocks and, and all sorts of contamination in there, um, which is, uh, makes it difficult to, uh, difficult to clean. Uh, David Hodges with you, Managing Director of Plastic Forest. We're talking about recycling in agriculture. And and this is interesting, David, because we've been in the supermarkets for much of this show thinking of, uh, you know, the little bit of soft plastic that you might be taking off a bit of packaging or your biscuit packet or so forth and what to do there. In agriculture, that the film, that silage wrap that you're um, recycling is... Uh, used quite extensively. Mm. What sort of, what kind of size or amount uh, can you deal with, and how much more is out there? Um, silage film is predominantly used. Uh, really, the concentration is in sort of Victoria and southern New South Wales. That probably probably makes up about eighty percent of the use in Australia. And there's around about eight thousand tons a year of silage film used and um, look there's some good news coming we've been working with uh, the federal government um, with the federal minister trevor evans they've been able to create some funds available to to then create a stewardship program so plastic forest is working with dairy australia they have some 5,000 dairy farmers and they're they're throughout australia but looking at how it's collected how it's aggregated how it then is transported which is one of the big issues we're such a big country to processes like plastic forest and uh, and hopefully others that will that will come on board so there there are a number of stewardship schemes coming i think one of your callers talked about you know why isn't there a, a pay up front type service and then it's all handled this type of scheme is what works it works in uh, Canada it works in Scotland mm. and they've, they've just got to set it up in Australia can it be scaled up even again I mean are there other industries I mean as you said you're starting to work with the dairy industry I mean you're producing and reusing a huge amount of soft plastics can it go to the next level are there other industries that can learn from this uh, look, there, there is. I mean, it's not just silage film. There's, there's another program that's uh, that's being evaluated for other agricultural plastics. So that's uh, the plastic that you might have, like hail netting over fruit farms. It might be covers that go over um, table grape farms. It, it might be the grain bags, those huge, big, long um, sausage rolls. For if we're talking about um, marshmallows, well, these are sausage rolls. <laughs> no, I'm just getting hungry. Bags. <laughs> it is the food, the food guys, and um, yeah, so those those types of plastics that are used in agriculture to keep the uh, the food uh, fresh, safe, clean, uh, to be able to then get it to food processes, and then to be able to get it to um, uh, the supermarkets, and, and ultimately to the to the consumer. So, plastic is one of those things where we can't really live in the twenty first century without it. But we've really got to think hard, and we've got to think long, and we've got to be committed into creating a, a happy outcome for once we've used it through that whole supply chain and, and ultimately to the consumer that we get it back into a usable form so that's either into products or or back into plastic if the technology is there to, to get it back into plastic and that varies from the different types of polymers well that's wonderful and i hope it makes it easier for people like lisa who's on the peninsula and has just sent us a message she's a farmer as well and she said we actually had to directly approach our local council to take our silage wrap it was a really hard conversation it should be easier for farmers to welcome uh, and recycle and to get rid of some of our farm waste so hopefully that will make it easier for people like lisa david it's been fascinating hearing what you do thanks so much that's a pleasure. Thank you. It's a really fascinating world, Rochelle. There's a lot of work being done to, to recycle a lot of those plastics used on farm and so forth and turn them into things like fence posts and so forth that can be reused on farm. But there's even cases where a lot of that stuff has been 
recycled into things using in the city and tram stops and so forth as well, which is Playgrounds are, yeah. are big for that kind of, for those yeah. sort of, you think, you know, that spongy stuff that you jump on or fall on, depending on how coordinated you are, a lot of that <laughs> is made from plastics as well. But, but there's as, been... As we've learnt, it's like plastics aren't plastics though, aren't they? Soft and hard and what you can do and what infrastructure is there behind the scenes is kind of tri- tricky for us yeah. to navigate if the responsibility is on us to do something. And if you it. take a simple products like a, a two-litre milk container, you know, and even just breaking that down as to what's recyclable, what's soft and what's hard plastic, you know, that's how confusing it can get on even a small scale, so depending on when we talk large. But lots of people have been talking about cling wrap today and whether or not we still use it. I don't know. Many households are not using it now. It does keep your food fresher, so are there alternatives? Julia Kay is actually the co-founder of Great Wrap, which is I guess an alternative and you're using all sorts of things to make what we know as a as plastic wrap, Julia. How does it work? Um, yeah, great, great question. Thank you. Um, yeah, so we make a home compostable stretch wrap uh, from food waste. Um, and so not only are we, we using it in homes, but we've also got a pallet wrap product as well. So there for you all go. of those, um, yeah, that, that's one place that clean wrap definitely um, exists on mass. Um, so what we do is, yeah, we take uh, potato waste. So um, from the process of making French fries, which the world goes through a lot of at the moment, um, we take those scraps, um, extract the starch and put that through a polymerization process. And then we're able to manufacture that into a, a stretch wrap ourselves. So uh, we've got two manufacturing facilities at the moment. We're just launching our, our second one in Tullamarine. So very exciting times at Great Wrap. So spud skins literally becoming cling wrap for food. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Um, it's um, it's actually crazy the amount, you know, in Victoria alone, we've got hundreds of thousands of tonnes of, of potato waste that currently is just ending up in a paddock um, or being fed to cattle. And, you know, uh, we saw that as a really good opportunity. All of a sudden I don't feel bad about the amount of hot chips that I eat but how did you discover how did you discover this? How do you put two and two together? Hmm, lots of potato peel, we don't want to use cling wrap anymore how do those worlds meet? Yeah, it's been a very long research journey. Um, We actually started this about three years ago um, and we didn't start with potato waste we were actually um, using a product that um, you might have come across it's called PLA and it's made from cornstarch and what we realized was that was actually just about a problem as as petroleum-based plastic you know um, often cornstarch requires huge amounts of water and chemicals to be farmed so um, we were really driven to find a solution that that was better for the environment Um, we started looking at waste streams because there is just so much of it um, and we actually did a lot of trials. We we started looking actually at um, grape marks, so the waste um, left over from making wine. But it was a discovery late at night in a research paper that kind of kicked us off wow. to, to get to where we are now. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Julia, do you fall on the idea that technology can sort of fix the problem of soft plastics more than, say, banning them? Uh, look, I think there's a hybrid model that really works um, well. I think... You know, the recycling model is very important, but but the problem that we have, I mean, we're humans, right? Um, And there's a certain amount of human error that recycling can't solve. You know, if that that piece of plastic ends up in an ocean or in a forest, um, you know, it's going to sit there for hundreds of thousands of years. So that's why we believe that um, a combination of recycling and and making biopolymers and designing better materials that just mm. break down um, is really going to sort of save the problem, save the plastic problem for us. So, and what so about we- cost, Julia? Because so often, you know, I mean, we know that rising costs and being able to manage a, a household or an individual's life at the moment is through the roof, and it's getting really, really hard. And so often, I mean, even say down to the type of eggs you can afford to buy, people maybe are forced mm-hmm. to buy a type of product they don't want to buy because it's all they can afford. Do we need to make things, because some people are saying, yeah, but this alternative stretch wrap, so to speak, is actually a lot more expensive. Do there need to be initiatives put into place so that it becomes cheaper for you to produce or cheaper for us to buy? 
Yeah, no, look, definitely. And I think, you know, that's part of the problem is, you know, petroleum has been subsidised for so long. Um, so conventional cling wrap products are really affordable. Um, I think for us, again, it comes down to that technology piece. We are highly aware that we are slightly more expensive at the moment. Um, but that's sort of one of our North Stars to design a process in which we can be cheaper. So, um, yeah, part of us scaling up our manufacturing facility and um, collecting our own waste is going to allow us to come a lot closer to price parity. We we don't really want it to be an economic decision whether you want to use our product or not. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, we've taken it on ourselves to, to work on that and, and design that process in a better way. Well, Julia, thank you very much for telling us a little bit about a, a technological advancement that <laughs> might help uh, move away from soft plastics. It's been good to talk to you today. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Have a great Friday. Julia Kay, their co-founder of Great Wrap there, speaking potato skins to plastic. Amazing. Of course, we were talking a little bit earlier about agriculture being great. Uh, well, some of the efforts in agriculture being great for recycling. Not everything can be recycled there. And there was a really interesting text on that from Jenny in Central Victoria to saying we get a lot of packaging in uh, stock feed bags and so forth. That can't be recycled. They disintegrate in sunlight. And then we have more microplastics, which are becoming a major contaminant of soil, water quality and entering the food chain as well. So we see a lot of your frustration still coming in on the text line. That's just one example. Absolutely. And we didn't even touch on microplastics today either. But it is exciting to know that there are plenty of initiatives out there. If we're really, really quick, we'll have a chat to Julie, who's been waiting patiently in Melbourne. Julie, what did you want to say? Uh, Yes, back to um, supermarket wrapping. I lived in Russia in the early 1990s in Moscow and there was not one single bag that was plastic or any plastic used. And if that large city of people can function that way, I can't see why we can't. And the other thing is I lived in Mullumbimby for 30 years and when they banned plastic bags, immediately that's when you saw all the fruit and veggies being wrapped in plastic. I felt like that was a bit of a con by the plastic industry. So yeah, I agree in that I feel like I've noticed more just fruit and veg things wrapped in, in plastic that just doesn't need to be in plastic. Julie, thank you. I mean, if they can do it in, in big other big cities, then maybe it's something that big supermarkets need to do here. And we do know was that you can get around it, but the fact is most of us are shopping at supermarkets. So does the responsibility lie with us as individuals in the middleman, in the producers or with the supermarkets? It's the idea of does technology solve the problem or personal responsibility or is there rules for for those who manufacture the products that could be enacted to, to change our behaviours? And it, a number of different issues fall this way and it's where do you put that line and that's been good to talk about today. That's it for the Conversation Hour today. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget you can always subscribe to the Conversation Hour podcast. You can go to the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts and that way you'll never miss an episode and you can share it with your friends and family. And if you have an idea or someone or something you want us to talk about, you can email us, conversationhour at abc.net.au. We always read those emails. Take care and speak to you soon.